3: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, and of course put it in the context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. For two straight months, this market was driven by FOMO, fear of missing out. That's what happens when you watch stocks go ever higher and you decide, oh, what the heck? I went in. I can't afford to miss this move. Oh, boy. Those were the days. We sure don't have FOMO anymore, do we? Instead, after another ugly session where Dow lost 133 points, getting to be a pattern, S&P declined 0.65%, NASDAQ fell 0.93%. We've got FOBs. Fear of big sellers. And that fobs is putting pressure on the whole market. Now, there are all sorts of innocuous reasons why an individual might sell stocks, right? But we're not talking about individuals here. We're talking about institutions, and you may not be an institutional trader. So why do institutions sell? Because they believe stocks are headed lower, and they want to get out before everyone else does. Managing money in this kind of environment is a little like going hiking with your friends and then getting attacked by a bear. You don't need to outrun the bear to get away unscathed. You just need to outrun your friends. We know there are big sellers fleeing here. The question is, what are they running from? What's the bear? Well, for starters, the market's run up so much over the past couple of months that there are plenty of money managers who simply want to take profits. Big profits, they've got them. And they don't want those big gains to go away. That would be a sin. It would be a cardinal sin to get these big gains away. So what are they doing? Sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. Now, it, it may not sound very frightening, it's just some hedge funds raining the register, right? But you know what? Sometimes I really got to just use what I know about what goes on in this world and talk about something that happened to me to explain the fear of big sellers. See, way back in August of 1990, when Iraq invaded Kuwait, kicking off the first Gulf War, my hedge fund had been long a lot of oil stocks, meaning we owned them. Now, I didn't know anything about Iraq. My trading partner, Karen Kramer, knew less. She just knew that the stocks were acting too well to be ignored, so she bought them. We were at Martha's Vineyard when we learned about the Iraqi invasion. Got to call around 4 a.m., something that caused the price of crude to soar. Karen <laughs> sold all of our oil stocks that very morning. It's a great trade. Why did we get out? Because once the war started, the easy money had already been made, she said. She had fobs. She was fearing big sellers in the oil. For the next five months, we just day-traded because, like everyone else, we had no idea what was going to happen. So we didn't want a lot of exposure to the stock market. Could have been dangerous. But I did know one thing. Once the United States got involved in this war, we were going to win this war, and we were going to win it fast. Okay? In retrospect, that may sound incredibly obvious. However, back in 1990, there were all kinds of worries about the war. As people were extrapolating the wrong lessons from Vietnam, we heard endless stories about how elite Iraqi troops could go toe-to-toe with the U.S. Army. I'm actually toe-to-toe. That's what we heard. Listening to the media coverage, you would have thought we were headed into a tough, flight, tough fight, you know, a real slog, maybe even a World War I-like slog. So Karen said we needed to use the pessimism to our advantage. As the averages went lower and lower and lower going into the last part of the year, in part driven by fears of a drawn-out war, and in part because of tax-law selling, we used that weakness to buy a ton of call options on my favorite stock. I picked dozens of stocks that I loved, and I put all sorts of calls. I bought the deep in the monies. I bought the at the monies. I bought the out of the monies. You name it. I had it. Loaded for bear, particularly on those high flyers of those days. When we got near Christmas, she said, enough already. We're out of here. So we're out of here. She said, we're done. We've done what we have to do. We're closing up shop. We went to St. John's. Stayed at a Hyatt. Waited for the war to begin. We almost bought a time show. We were there for so long. Two and a half weeks later, the firing started. Karen asked me how long it would take for us to win. I said about a week. So she booked us a plane home. Made me sit on my hands. We waited five days. As soon as it became clear that our army was vastly superior to Iraq's, we sold everything. Everything. It didn't matter how much it was up. It didn't matter whether I thought the prospects were great. I remember begging her to at least let me keep my calls on Home Depot and Merck. Please, please, please. She told me, fine. I'll keep the Merck. I'll keep the Home Depot. Go get me a, a salt pretzel and a Diet Coke. When I got back, those positions were going to. Why did we dump everything? Simple, she said. Everyone knows what we know. We have no edge, so it was time to skedaddle ski daddy. In other words, we had to get out before everyone else who was dumber than we were was finished. buying. we had to sell them our stock because eventually they too would turn into gigantic sellers. And once they realized that the easy money had been made, they had been wrong. And we had fear of big sellers. Now, I don't want to sound like Cal in East Eden, a war profiteer, but Karen's fob's instinct was right. The market proceeded to fall and fall for months as big sellers bailed by the boatload. But we were already out, so we took an extended vacation in our Pennsylvania farmhouse where we built a little office to do some periodic day trading. We almost never owned a stock overnight. We ended up having a huge year and pretty much closed the fund in February of that very year. Yep, February, I didn't work. I, I, most of the days I didn't work between February and December. I spent more time gardening that summer than working. I used to hang out with Pop constantly at his office. I read more books and saw more movies that year than any other time since I was a kid. Why do I bring this up? Because right now I see monster sellers in the semiconductor stocks. They reload every day and they just don't see have any sensitivity at all the price. Why? There's nothing really wrong with those stocks, but they run dramatically. Money managers just went out because they're worried about a wave of bigger sellers than they are taking gains. Or look at General Electric. Holy cow. That stock was abused going into last night's analyst meeting, uh, yesterday's analyst meeting at J.P. Morgan. But CEO Larry Kulp told a discouraging story and the stock got poleaxed down nearly 8%. Gee, was vulnerable because the stock had rallied so far so fast, up 54% from the bottom before today. So you had plenty of investors who simply wanted to ring the register before the big institutional shareholders started selling once they realized that 2019 would be a real bummer of a year. I see fear of Big sellers everywhere in the cloud stocks. How about the cloud kings? They were flying high going into Workday's fantastic quarter last week. But when Workday went down on what was an amazing result, people, that was the signal to hedge fund managers that it was time to start fearing their fellow investors, their fellow bears, and they wanted to outrun the other guys. Then the drugs and drugstore stocks. These names are so horrible after being so great for so long. It seems like the sellers don't even care at all about what price they get. The truth is, They're just really worried about other bigger sellers who may want out in the not-too-distant future, for whatever reason. Hey, you know what the exception proves the rule here? Fine. Fine's working. It's going higher. Particularly Facebook and Alphabet. What What sets these apart? Well, they haven't done much. You don't need to fear big sellers when there aren't big profits. So, when does it end? I'd argue that it might not end until you have stocks without much profits in them. And that's where we usually bottom in this kind of environment, unless we get a trade deal, in which case the market will roar back and people will have FOMO again. But here's the bottom line. Right now, there's no fear of missing out in this market. It's all about fear of big sellers, which is why, for the moment, things are looking pretty ugly. I did caution on on Friday's game plan. I had a fear. I had fobs. It won't always be like this, but it's always worth remembering that I was trying to hold on to my favorite stocks. Remember that? In 1991, my precious shares of Home Depot and Merck only to discover that in the time it took to get a hot soft pretzel and a cold Diet Coke, they were gone. And it was right that they went. Luke in Texas. Luke. Hey, Jim. First time caller. Love the show. Thank you, man. What's up? My question today is on Tesla with the electric vehicle market becoming increasingly competitive from players such as Volvo and Ford. And even the recent partnership between Mercedes and BMW, Tesla's one hundred and ten dollars off their all-time high, and released their new model Y on March fourteenth. Is Tesla in a spot where you feel comfortable buying, Jim? First, I want to belittle some of the uh, some of the uh, chatterheads who on uh, on uh, Twitter keep saying that. Listen, I kept them out of it. I didn't like it at fifty. Went down. That was great. Cost uh, went back up, and I said, you know what? It's jump ball, Tesla. You do whatever you want because if you love the car, then I know you might want on the stock, and I still feel exactly that way. If you love the car, I know you want. I'm not going to talk you out of the stock. I don't like the balance sheet. I think the man's a visionary. Curtis in Kentucky. Curtis. Hey Jim, booyah, booyah. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. My name is Curtis,
4: and I'm calling from Fort Knox, Kentucky. My question is about BlackBerry Silence.
3: Uh, I bought a large amount of shares upon hearing of their acquisition of Silence last month. Uh, They seem to be firing on all cylinders at the moment with their software and cybersecurity business,
4: especially with their deal announced with Verizon today. Right. Uh, Is BlackBerry silence
3: reinvigorated? Is it reinvented? I'd love to hear your thoughts and recommendations. Well, First, you're absolutely right about the intellectual properties. It's just, it, it's just fantastic. Uh, second, I've got to tell you, um, when you mention Verizon in the same sentences as BlackBerry, what I say is just go buy Verizon. Uh, VZ is very, very good. As a matter of fact, it's better than Operation Grand Slam. How about Paul in Texas, please, Paul?
1: Hi, Jim. Thank you for
5: taking my call. I appreciate you and the work you do. Thank you. Uh, my question is in regards to lumber liquidators, the, uh, the stock price, and how it's been beaten up over the years. Has the stock bottomed, or do you expect lumber liquidators to provide stronger guidance after announcing their fiscal year 2018 results? And do you think there will be something there that can finally give the stock some positive momentum?
3: Well, like Special Agent Sam Gerard, I don't care. What here is that you want to own is Home Depot. It's what I mean. I did a... I, Video today about Home Depot because uh, it's owned by my travel trust. You can follow along at uh, you can follow along by joining ActionAlertsPlus uh, dot club. I would feel great if Home Depot went down. And I could buy more. I don't know what I'd feel if, look, uh, if uh, l- lumber liquidators came down. Uh, too dangerous. How about Dale in Europe? He's Dale.
2: Hey Jim, thanks for taking my call. I'd Like to talk about AT and You know, once upon a time they should have been in everybody else's portfolio. And now they're hovering around $28, 31 a share for six months. It's like they're trying to find their identity. It is. You get the yeah. entertainment business with Time Warner, and the Justice Department comes after them. And the Justice Department loses, and their stock still doesn't move.
3: Now they-, they need to pay down debt. They have to pay down debt they have to pay down debt. And, you know, I don't know if I've mentioned it, but they've got to pay down some debt. If they do that, the stock is going to go up. That's what has to happen right now. The really good, the really good acquirers, they start paying down that debt immediately. Okay, right now, we got a fear. We have a fear. We have a fear of big sellers, fobs, and it's coloring everything, including a lot of good stocks you own. Oh, man, money tonight, with news that Dollar Tree is shaking things up, closing almost 400 family dollar stores underperformers, and changing the names or rebannering hundreds more, is this stock still a bargain after the giant move today where did you miss the discount don't miss my ceo exclusive thank kramer fame bristol myers joins me tonight in response to the critics of the Selgin deal who are myriad and clean up on aisle three last week's news that amazon's planning to open dozens of grocery stores close stocks in that space to sell off again but are the worries warning i'm browsing the aisles so stay with kramer
4: don't miss a second of mad money follow at jim kramer on twitter have a question
1: visibility at indeed.com slash mad Just go to indeed.com slash mad right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.
3: the stock of Dollar Tree were today. Here's a company that for a long time seemed to have trouble getting its act together. A few years ago, Dollar Tree acquired Family Dollar, the lowest quality player in the dollar store space, if I say so myself. And they just couldn't seem to make the darn thing work. It got so bad that earlier this year, the activist investors at Starboard Value took a position in the company and started pushing for a sale of the of a Family Dollar business. But Dollar Tree had a plan to turn things around. By renovating these lower quality stores and closing the irredeemable low volume ones, so I counsel patience with this terrific management team. Give them a little more time, for heaven's sake. Today we saw how that plan worked out. Dollar Tree reported inline revenues and earnings, but their enterprise-wide same store sales came in much stronger than expected, up two point four percent, looking for one point four. And while management's guidance appeared light at first glance, there's a lot of noise in these numbers, including an assumption that the tariffs on Chinese imports rise to twenty five percent. More importantly, the turn in family dollar is working, which is why the company is stepping up its renovation efforts So going to remodel 1,000 family dollar locations, rebrand hundreds more, also close up to 390 underperformers. Put it all together, and you got one exciting story to tell, which is, of course, why the stock fell 5% today. Can you keep climbing? Let's check in with Gary Philbin. He's the president and CEO of Dollar Tree, who predicted this turn. The last time we spoke to him, right here, he predicted. That was 15 points ago. Get a better sense of how the quarter's going and the company's prospects. Mr. Philbin, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Gary. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations, but Gotta to be down, back. Now, okay, so here's the key thing. Can you have a family door, family a family dollar that has any wow factor?
2: Absolutely. And as we talked about on our plan on how we're going to renovate these stores, it's built around three things. Get the basics right, great looking store, great product. Inject some family dollar wow items in there. But the magic dust is exactly what you talked about. Can we put some Dollar Tree items in there? That's a sp- surprise for the customer when she walks in the store.
3: Well, that's what we like. And I have to tell you, when I go to my family dollar, I know exactly what I'm going to get. When I go to my Dollar Tree, when I walk in, I never know what I'm going to get. And that's part of the hunt.
2: Well, it is. It's throw the hunt. That's what we've built Dollar Tree on for all these years, right? And our customers know everything's a dollar. But they're going to find something new every time they come in.
3: Okay, everything's a dollar, but when I read through the lines, I read closely. You're open to other ideas. I bet you you will be testing some things that may be dollar five. Well,
2: uh, I doubt it will be a dollar five. But really, seriously, what we put into the release today was we've tested before. Right. This is not a, this is not something that is strange to us. We want to get off the table. Of course, we're going to test, and we're going to test things that stick to the brand. Right. And Dollar Tree is known for a wow first and foremost. In the dollar price point, and what can we add to that? How about H2? What's going on there? Well, H2. H2 is our name internally for the renovation program. Right. And for us, it's the thousand stores that we're going to renovate, uh, some last year, but we're really thrilled with the 10% lift we're getting in these stores. It's more footsteps into the, for our customers into a family dollar. Okay,
3: so you look, you're a retailer from way back. Our viewers at home might think 10%. What's that? Could you explain to them, given your gross margins, given your cash flow, mm-hmm. what it means?
2: Well, today the combined enterprise generates over two billion dollars of, of uh, cash flow. We put a billion dollars into our stores. Uh-huh. We invest in stores. We're a growth company. We build stores. We are putting a lot into our renovated family dollar stores. And what uh, this lift does, you take a fleet of stores and add 10% of volume to it, well, it works pretty well in these small
3: Well, that's that's how you're able to pay the balance sheet to pay down. I know a lot of people worried about how much you paid. I can't believe how much you spew these last few years, how much you were able to buy, uh, debt you could buy back.
2: Well, we did. Listen, we we paid uh, about $9 billion, and we took on debt, and we paid down about four point three so far. And uh, we've been very methodical. Our rates have gone down because we've paid down rates while the world's gone up.
3: Now, let's speak about the Chinese tariffs. I mean, you were here last time. You told us not to worry because you know how to source. But you still were very conservative. What happens if there are no tariffs?
2: Interesting. You know, we went into it not knowing. Our plan this year is that 25% tariffs is going into the latest tariff rounds. If that doesn't happen, listen, as always, we're going to be retailers. Some of that will come to the bottom line. But I always caution our folks, we're going to drive footsteps into Dollar Tree and Family Dollar, and that's some of the sauce we may need to do that.
3: Okay, my late father always said, could you ever find out, how can they charge a buck? For something that I'm going to pay three bucks elsewhere, how do you do it? A movie candy's four bucks. How do you charge a buck for that?
2: I keep asking our buyers, that. "How do you do that?" <laughs>
3: but you know <laughs> these are my faves yep. and I can't figure out how you only charge a buck.
2: Yeah, sometimes we don't have to argue about the retail at Dollar Tree. It right. becomes a one-way conversation. How much are we going to pay?
3: Well, have the uh, kind folks at Starboard called you and congratulated
2: you? We have. Listen, we've uh, we've engaged with Starboard seriously. We have an engaged uh, uh, engaged uh, shareholder. Right. Uh, we've gone back and forth. Listen, what we've tried to lay out is that we think there's lots of value with our plan, number one. Right. And we've talked an awful lot about our brand, a Dollar Tree. It's a brand. It's not just transactional right. price and item.
3: Now, did you, uh, were you able to demonstrate uh, unequivocally that the same store that is a Family Dollar when it is rebranded Dollar Tree literally what more people come or do they spend or do they spend more or both
2: it's interesting it takes folks about 6 months to figure it out we take, took the name off and now it's a Dollar Tree but footsteps come in and the average transaction goes up Just like it does at Dollar Tree year after year after year.
3: Well, you know my Dollar Trees. What do you do with the fact that my Dollar Tree in Neptune is so much nicer than my family dollar? Not down the block, but, I mean, you know, the manager of the Dollar Tree until until you guys merged, he was questioning a family
2: dollar. Well, you're talking about two important things in retail. What's the format look like? And that's what H2 is going to address. But the people is what makes the difference. And we have always focused at that at Dollar Tree, and it's what we're doing at Family Dollar, too.
3: Next big uh, holiday, because I know that so much of what you do is involved around seasonal
2: things. Well, we, of course, are St. Patrick's, but uh, we have a lot of uh, pink and blues and yellows up here. Trust me, Easter is out there somewhere despite the snow you have on the ground. And
3: today. you promised me you're going to have enough balloons for July 4th this year in my, my Dollar Tree. Count on
2: it, and uh, we're going to make sure. Fourth of July is going to be the biggest one ever at this it point. It
3: sure is. Boy, well, I want to thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you, you sat here. You said what was going to happen, and you delivered. And I love CEOs who do that. That's Gary Philbin. He's the CEO of Dollar Tree and also the president. And I've got to tell you guys, the stores look better than ever. Man Money's back after the break.
4: Coming up. Is Amazon going to eat your lunch? Will the tech titans' big news on groceries starve this hungry sector? Find out when Mad Money returns. This podcast is supported by
0: FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.
3: If it's only the beginning of March, this new year has been so hectic that the things that happened two months ago already feel like they're from another era. Just think about the deal to end all deals in the big pharma space. Bristol-Myers taking over Celgene in a cash and stock transaction that was valued at $74 billion when announced on Jan 3rd. That was only two months ago. When we first learned about the transformative acquisition, Wall Street was highly skeptical, and Bristol-Myers uh, plunged more than 13% single session. A lot of investors were worried that the deal was being done out of desperation on both sides. Merck's got a competitive cancer franchise to Bristol. It's done exceptionally well in head-to-head trials. Celgene faces a tough patent cliff for its crucial lucrative blood cancer drug, Revelman. But CEO, but CEO Giovanni Caforio, I thought, told a compelling story when we spoke to him at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference about the synergies, about the positives. We like what we heard. Since then, the stock's been able to erase those, those losses. Not bad, huh? Now, though, there's a new wrinkle. First, Wellington, an 8% shareholder, announced it doesn't support the transaction. Calling it risky and expensive, suggests there are better ways to create shareholder value. Then, earlier this week, an activist firm, Starboard Value, these guys are all over the place, uh, re- took a position in Bristol and published a letter to management arguing that the Celgene deal is poorly conceived and ill-advised. They want to get other shareholders to block the acquisition. They're even sending letters to you if you're a shareholder. So today, Bristol-Myers released an updated slide deck highlighting the virtues of the Celgene transaction. Starboard fired back in the letters. letter. This thing's getting really intense and confusing. So let's take a closer look with Giovanni Caffurio. He's the chairman and CEO of Bristol-Myers Squibb, and get an update on where the Celgene deal stands and why it makes sense for you if you're a shareholder. Giovanni, welcome money? Good to see you, Thank you sir. Have a seat. Thanks Good. for having me. Excellent. Now, this has gotten very difficult for, we have many, many viewers who own shares from Bristol Myers. So first, before we go into a little bit deeper, again, just trace out the rationale about what this does for the bottom line for Bristol Myers shareholders.
5: Well, Jim, I'm very excited about the deal. Uh, it's a great deal. The transaction is strategically very strong. It creates the number one company in oncology Number one cardiovascular franchise, very strong presence in autoimmune diseases. It generates value from shareholders, for shareholders from day one, uh, and it provides a path to sustainable long-term growth for bristol myers Squibb. think we're going to be launching six new medicines in the first 24 months.
3: Now, I think it's important to point that out because all I hear from the, uh, some of these uh, unhappy shareholders is that, look, cell genes just reveled in. They never talk about the five late stage products with near term approvals that I don't think were in the stock, so to speak, given the price earnings multiple.
5: Well, those five products are either best in class, first in class. Uh, we're going to be launching in the next 12 to 24 months. Uh, they are de risked, three of them, from a clinical perspective. So, you know our industry very well, Jim. It's all about bringing new innovative medicines to to patients we have a great opportunity when we bring the two companies together to bring even more medicines to patients.
3: One of the things that has irritated me about the critics of this is I say well who would know more than Giovanni to be able to analyze this? You guys know how to do deals. You've also been through patent cliffs and you've triumphed over them. Yes,
5: absolutely. So uh, First of all, when you look at our sales today, sixty percent of our sales at Bristol Myers Quib come from products that we've launched in the last five years. We've managed successfully the renewal of our portfolio before, and in our industry, as you know, we know when products end their life, uh, we lose patent, and that's why you need an R&D engine that generates more innovation. That's what this deal is all about. I know you
3: talked to all your shareholders, and you're equal to all of them. An 8% shareholder Wellington is saying that this, there are better ways to create value for Bristol-Myers shareholders. Have they told you about better ways?
5: You know, Jim, we do talk to all shareholders, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, they're important to us, and and Wellington is as well. We disagree with them. Uh, I believe this is the best deal for us. We have looked at uh, the acquisition of Celgene, and we are acquiring a number of promising uh, molecules in the pipeline. As I said, we will be launching uh, potentially five in the next two years, but there is more than 20 in phase one and phase two clinical trials, This is the best deal for Bristol Myers Squibb uh, as a board, as a management team. We are behind it. We can't uh, wait to get started because it's a great company.
3: Okay, Giovanni, I'm going to look you in the eyes and ask you a question. Were you approached by another company, and rather than become part of that company, you decided to stay independent and bought Celgene for a ton of money so that any potential acquirer would no longer pursue you? Jim, let me be
5: very clear. If there had been an acquire, we would have disclosed it. This is not a defensive deal. This is a great deal because we are creating an even stronger Bristol-Myers quib, well-positioned for long-term
3: growth. All right, let's talk about the money. It does seem to me that the amount of money that Celgene is going to make versus what it was selling at, you stole the company is the way I look at it, but that's okay because we had Selgino One, they want to get together too. What does the EAP, is it accretive? Do people, the shareholders make money within, say, 18 months if this deal closes? So, first
5: of all, it's accretive day one. Uh, from an EPS uh, perspective, it's 10% accretive uh, right away and it creates a lot of value for shareholders. And the good thing is uh, the deal begins to generate value right away because we are going to be launching medicines from uh, the very beginning.
3: Now, when you sit down with your scientists and you say, look, this RevelMid does have a real patent problem, does anyone say, you know what, there may be some things with Revlimid that won't make it so it goes to zero when it goes off patent?
5: I think that as every medicine, Revlimid will lose patent. We looked at it very carefully. Right. It was a big part of our due diligence. We became comfortable that under many scenarios, uh, the deal generates value for shareholders of Bristol MySquib. But what really excited us and what excites me is the pipeline because our industry is about new medicines to patients. We'll bring more new medicines to patients faster. And that's how you generate value in our industry in the long term. This will be a great company.
3: Okay, a lot of, I know Bob, Bob Yugen, previous CEO for a long time, coaches a uh, daughter in soccer in Summit. One of the things he always told me was watch the farm teams, watch the companies that we're buying shares of, because if they're any good, we got a great call on them. <laughs> Have you looked at that farm team?
5: Uh, We actually have, and one of the great strategies of Celgene was to create a network of alliances with biotech companies. We do that as well at Bristol MySquib, and that's another element where we're complementary as a company. And we will have an R&D organization that balances internal innovation, what we do, very well with great scientists from both companies, but also an extremely promising network of alliances with biotech companies. And that's the power of combining those two companies. It's going to be all about science.
3: Okay, one last thing. You know, I was there when uh, Bob bought Receptos, and a lot of people feel that there turned out there wasn't anything there. Is there something, Receptos?
5: Well, one of the uh, big part of the due diligence we did was on... Uh, was on the Receptus product, ozanimode.
3: Right, Uh, so I thought that was big, I might have been wrong.
5: And as you know, Celgene has said they're getting ready to refile that. We believe that's an important part of the pipeline. It goes beyond ozanimode, but obviously that is an important part of our pipeline. So it's about new medicines to patients, this is a great company. It's a great transaction, and I am very excited.
3: About it. Well, I'm very excited that you came here to explain it, and I want everyone to go. If you're a shareholder of Bristol Myers or you're thinking about it, there is more to read about this. It's written in English. You will understand it. It is not written in scientist ease. and I think you'll come to the conclusion that I did, that this is something that Bristol should do. That's Giovanni Caforio. He's the chairman and CEO of Bristol Myers. We have money back in for Every time Amazon tells us that it's gunning for a particular industry, people freak out. Everyone just assumes that Amazon's the retail death star. So any companies in its line of fire will be blown to smithereens, which causes their stocks to sell off. Sell, sell, sell. Dramatically. You know what? This drives me nuts, because more often than not, these pullbacks turn out to be buying opportunities. Once we learn Amazon's build out will take longer than expected, or the market's big enough for multiple winners, or the damage to the competition simply isn't as bad as we thought, or, or Amazon's not even interested in the thing. We got to do some teaching tonight because I got to get this lesson into your heads. You know what happened again last Friday? Yeah, it's the same old too familiar pattern. Reports surfaced that Amazon would be expanding more aggressively in the grocery space, and all of the supermarket stocks that got slammed. You know what makes this truly frustrating to me? Amazon already did this to the supermarket industry back in 2017 when they acquired Whole Foods. I mean, the whole sector got wrecked. The grocery stocks remained depressed for weeks or even months. But then they started working their way higher again, ultimately posting some impressive gains off their lows. We've seen it with the supermarkets. We've seen it with the auto parts retailers. We've seen it with the drugstores. And now we're back to the supermarkets again. Don't get me wrong. Amazon's not some pitiful helpless giant. They're the most terrifying competitor on Earth. But the market often behaves as though they can wreck an entire industry overnight. And that's simply not the case. That's why I think it's important to explain this pattern again, because it's all too easy to work yourself up into an unnecessary panic. First, though, let's talk about Amazon's latest shot across the, across the bow of the grocery sp- space. I mean, this is kind of unbelievable. You know, Friday, the journal reported Amazon. Notice I said reported. It didn't say Amazon re- uh, said. I said the journal reported that Amazon's planning to open dozens of grocery stores across the United States, starting with Los Angeles at the end of the year. At this point, it's not clear whether these will be Whole Foods stores or simply Amazon branded. I mean, which raises the question, I mean, why, why did they buy Whole Foods if they're going to open a competing chain? But we know that they're focused on major cities, and we know the company's thinking about acquiring some of the smaller regional supermarket chains. It's been speculated. I'll admit that's not a headline you want to see if you're in the grocery business. Not at all. To make matters worse, on Monday, the Journal published another piece talking about Amazon's plans to take market share in the beauty products retail space. That's another potential blow to the supermarkets as beauty products are some of the highest margin merchandise out there, if not the. At least this time, though, the market was more restrained about crushing the stocks in Amazon's crosshairs. While Kroger got hit uh, down 4.5% on Friday and Walmart shed 1.1%, the rest of the group barely got dinged. Then the beauty products news hit on Monday, and that took down CVS. Everything takes down CVS. Don't I know it? My travel trust owns it. And Ulta Beauty, which lost 3.7% and 1.2% respectively. Although let's understand each other that CVS has got a host of other issues that I think are going to be cleared up, and it's a buying opportunity, but nobody listened to this guy. If you're worried about these stocks here, history says it's a mistake. Over and over again, we see the same pattern. Supermarkets got slammed in the summer of 2017 with Amazon's Whole Foods deal. By October of last year, when I last checked in with these supposed victims, Kroger, Costco, Spar- Sprouts, Farmers Market, they had rebounded by 20 to 40% from their post Amazon inter- interference lows. At the time, I warned you away from Sprouts, which turned out to be the weakest performer during the market wide meltdown in the fourth quarter, but they've hardly. Th- they're hardly the only Amazon survivors. We've seen the same thing happen with the auto parts retailers. One that just it's really steamed me, because I just didn't believe Amazon could eat up these guys. Amazon set its sights on the do-it-yourself auto parts market, and the whole group did get obliterated. The stocks did, not the companies. Well, it's one reason for the big sell-off that sent AutoZone, O'Reilly Automotive, and Advanced Auto Parts down anywhere from 37 to 53% from peak to 12 Amazon. Just Amazon. But in December 2017, I recommended the auto parts group as their stocks have become too cheap to ignore. Since then, you've gotten some phenomenal gains, particularly in AutoZone, (AZO), which I told you was my favorite at the beginning of October. Even though the company had recently reported what was widely viewed as a disappointing quarter, I thought the stock was absurdly cheap, selling for less than 13 times earnings. Plus, management had just rolled out a monster $1.25 billion extension of a long-term buyback, part of just an amazing history that I'll have to talk about later because it's so huge. So, how has AutoZone done since then? Remember, I circled back to all these Amazon survivors on October 1st, right before the whole stock market fell off a cliff, thanks to an overly hawkish Federal Reserve and an escalation in the rhetoric around the trade war from Vice President Pence. Nevertheless, AutoZone stock has kept chugging. The darn thing is up 21% since I told you to stick with it five months ago. <laughs> While the S&P 500 has lost 5% over the same period. And you know what? Even with the stock trading here at its all-time highs, i got to tell you, I think AutoZone remains fairly inexpensive at 15 bye, bye, times bye, bye, earnings. Bye. Not bad. However, the point here. It's not whether AutoZone's cheap or free. The point is that companies can do fine, even when Amazon's trying to take market share. AZO has been a fabulous performer. And you know, I've got one more for you, one more example that I think is extraordinary. Let's talk about Cisco. Last July, a Silicon Valley publication called, which I don't read, called The Information. Well, I might check it out now. This movie called The Information posted a story titled, Amazon Web Services Targets Cisco in Networking. The thrust is pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Amazon is already the dominant player by far in the cloud services industry. If you need hosting, you go to Amazon Web Services, AWS. We had Andy Jassy on this week. You know how much I like that story. So now the company's eyeing parts of the cloud space it doesn't already control, like the $14 billion global market for data center switches. That was the supposition. The piece explains that Amazon's thinking about selling its own networking switches, and this hardware would directly compete with Cisco's core business, along with fellow travelers like Arista Networks and Juniper. So what happened? Like we've seen uh, with every other story about Amazon, even thinking about entering a new industry, the stocks got hit. You know, Cisco shed 4.1% that day. Arista lost 4.3%. Juniper fell 2.3%. I was scrambling, calling everybody, finding that this stuff was true. Well, if you panicked on that news, which I told you not to, you got a serious case of seller's remorse a few days later when we started to hear some pushbacks on the informations reported. JP Morgan published a note saying that Amazon's planned to launch a commercial switching product within 18 months, and and they uh, tried to undercut undercut the existing players on prices they always do. But the piece also pointed out that Amazon Web Services would only have a limited impact on the networking equipment space. They're talking about data center capital spending from large enterprise customers, maybe a $2.5 billion opportunity, and that had been my supposition, too. And then a few days after that, MarketWatch breaks the news that Amazon Web Services may not be building any network switches for external sale at all. It was a nothing burger.
4: The house of pain. For those who
3: sold. If you put Cisco into its Amazon-related weakness, buy, buy, buy! Well, get this. You now have a 24% gain. By the way, that's better than the 8% advance in Amazon itself sell from the same period. Regular viewers know I'm a huge fan of Cisco, which has put up a series of excellent quarters as it transitions into less of a networking hardware player and more of a well-rounded purveyor of hardware and, more importantly, software with an extra emphasis on security. Software-designed networks. Now, let's bring it back to the grocers. While Target didn't get hit that hard on the news of Amazon's expansion plans, I think it's important to point out that the stock roared higher after yesterday uh, when it reported that fabulous quarter. So, if it worries, it worries about Amazon kept you out of Target, well, guess what? You're probably kicking yourself. Bottom line, Kroger reports tomorrow morning. Costco reports tomorrow morning after the close. Uh, tomorrow morning. I, I I don't have a great read on how they'll do. But I do think you should listen to what the companies have to say rather than just assuming that they're either roadkill and if either stock gets hit on a good quarter, you might want to consider buying them into weakness. It's certainly been the historical pattern. So, Mad Money is back if the
4: tomorrow kick off the trading day with squawk on the street live from post nine at the nyse
3: david you're a triceratops you're teamed with a stegosaurus <laughs> because because uh carl can pivot and do a little popular culture he's actually present he's in the present true we Although, are paleo, alone, paleo. Not, 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 I, but i don't wear a tie
4: it all starts at 9 a.m eastern
3: It is time to show them the light rail converter. And then the light rail over. Are you ready, ski? Daddy, time for the light rail converter. Let's start with Jeff in Florida, please. Jeff?
2: Yeah, hey, how's it going, man? Oh,
3: it's going pretty well. How are you?
2: Pretty good. Uh, it was just my birthday yesterday,
3: and I had some extra funds that I got from my from my folks, and okay. I was thinking about throwing it down on some Funko. Figure F N K O. Uh, Funko. 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 Okay. We have we like Funko very much. Why do we like Funko? Because they had a blowout quarter, and I know it's got its doubters and its short sellers, but I think it's actually pretty good. Let's go to Mike in New Jersey. Mike, Mike, Mike. Oh, got a booyah coming to you. What's happening, Captain? Not much. How about you there, Chief? Not too much. I'm at the Therapeutics. Owned it, owned it for a long time. Want to see what's happening. You know, it's a really good spec. I, when I did my uh, biotech, I uh, did a biotech Bible for the, the street.com, and, and it came up uh, aces, but nothing's happened since. I don't know why. I like it. Let's go to Philip in New York. Philip.
2: Hi, Jim. I really like your opinion on QEP
4: resources. Uh, I own the stock, and they have an offer on the table at $8.75 a share. And at the close the past couple days, it traded on very high uh, volume. Should I buy or sell or hold this
3: one? Um, I do not know about that. You know, I know it's a vantage. I've got to do more on the acquisition. I, I will tell you, typically I say ring the register. There's only been one deal that I've saved to hold on in all the years, which was the uh, NXP Semi, because I thought that they lowballed it. But otherwise, sell, sell, sell. Let's go to Jesse in Pennsylvania. Jesse!
4: Booyah, Jim. What's going on?
3: Oh, not much. Hanging out. How about you?
4: Um, I was calling in uh, to see what you thought
2: about Turning Point Brand.
3: You know, I'm going to say something bad. And I don't mean to because I'm not recommending stock. But when Gottlieb, whom I loved, the FDA, when he left, it was really great news for tobacco. Because this man was on a mission. We have so many people dying of lung cancer in this country, and he wanted to stop it. He's a great man, and uh, that's why Turning Point's been strong, and that's just terrible. Uh, I don't want to recommend it stuff. Didn't mean to the other day when I did it off the charts. That was someone else, and I used their chart. Let's go to Andrew in New Jersey. Andrew! Hi, Kim, It's Andrew with boy from New Jersey.
2: Jim, I have Sirius XM radio stock. Should I hold stock? A- has or lost its mojo.
3: Sirius has lost its mojo. Why? Because auto sales have lost their mojo. I've been behind this since it was a little itty baby. I am losing patience. We need to see car sales pick up, or how about if we go to Allie in Maryland? Allie. Hey,
1: Jim. How are you?
3: Real good, Allie. How about you?
1: I'm great. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my business teacher, Mr. Mark. We love him. Awesome. Rocks. Yep. <laughs> and I also had a quick question about FedEx. What do you think about um, that? Oh, you
3: know, the transports. We're all talking about nine straight days, this, that. So horrible. Must be bad. Must be bad. Why do you think the Fed stopped tightening forever and saying, I like FedEx? I know it's got 10 down. I think it has 30 up. I we'll take that risk award any day of the weekend. That lens up is Up the lightning round.
4: The lightning round is sponsored by T.G. Ameritrade.
3: After not-so-hot day for the average, it's worth remembering that this market still has one huge positive going for it, buybacks. <laughs> I've never seen companies buy their shares with such reckless abandon in my career. Sure, some of it's related to the tax cut, leaving businesses with more money sloshing around. But other repurchase programs, particularly in retail, seem to be driven by something else. I believe that their stocks got too cheap during the December bear market. So lots of companies took advantage of that weakness to buy back a ton of shares. The best example, Home Depot which repurchased $4.5 billion of stock in the fourth quarter. That's $500 million more than what management had been planning. Now, that's a real commitment, and it sends a signal that the company's feeling good about its future. Given that Home Depot has total discretion when it comes to their buyback program, you, you have to figure they'd it back, not increase it, if they're really concerned about the way things were going. That's a major reason why we started buying Home Depot from my charitable trust which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Good conference call next week. I'll explain this stuff. Of course, it's not like this is new behavior. Home Depot has shrunk its share count from 1.38 billion shares five years ago down to 1.12 billion today. That's an extraordinary 18% reduction. It's almost like the company's very gradually trying to take itself private. I think the buybacks will continue because Home Depot doesn't open a lot of new stores. Remember, it's an American company. Don't put up new ones every year. Instead, the company plows the cash into improving existing stores and rewarding its shareholders, both of which does a fantastic job. Adding and the stock's way low. Well. I bet the despot has a huge gardening season once the weather improves. It's their own Black Friday. So I recommend bringing some in here. And that's just one example. Lately, we've heard from a ton of retailers, some of which are spending big to reinvent themselves, yet they still have plenty of money left over to sop up stock. Target's putting up billions of dollars to work uh, to make itself into a fantastic digital paradise. I don't know if you heard Brian Cornell the other day. Wow. While well, adding more small-format stores to major cities, they added four in the lower part of Manhattan not that long ago. Even after all that, the company's buying back stock hand over fist. Five years... Share count reduced 17%. Kohl's has an aggressive small store expansion. They got that partnership with Amazon. The market hated these stocks today, but that was a good one. Uh, and I got to tell you, uh, perhaps the best thing that Kohl's has got going for it, it has shrunk its share count by more than 25% in the last five years. Last night, Royal Stores gave a disappointing forecast with its weakness largely concentrated in women's apparel. The analysts in the comments call seemed to be freaking out was a fashion miss. Those happened. What doesn't miss, though? The buyback. In five years, Ross has reduced its shares outstanding by nearly 15%. That's a gross stock. Maybe uh, that's why the stock shrugged off this morning, selling closed up. Who wants to unload shares when management seems poised to reload the buyback real soon? How about Best Buy? BBY? The electronics chain may have some quarters where it fails to deliver on the sales front, but Best Buy has layered on some terrific high-margin services. Plus, the company doesn't stand on the buyback which has retired 17% of the share count in five years. curring pattern, huh? What makes these buybacks extra special is that all these companies I just mentioned have both sales and earnings growth. It's not always easy to walk and chew bubble gum in this business. Bed Bath & Beyond, BBBY, has repurchased a ridiculous amount of stock, but they might as well have shoved that money into the pizza oven at my wife's new restaurant in Brooklyn. Yep, that stock's been a terrible performer. Amazon keeps crushing their business. They don't have any growth at all. The core issue, though, is that if you want to sell the retailers here, you have to reckon with the fact that you may end up being selling your stock to the companies themselves. And historically, that's been a very bad move. Just look at AutoZone, ASIO, fabulous outperformer. That mentioned earlier in the show. The thing has been a juggernaut, in large part because of the huge buyback. Magic's retired more than 24% of the share count since five years ago. I know it's tough to feel sanguine about the market right now. The fear of big sellers coming out of the woodwork is just palpable and, pers- and just pervasive. But these retailers are true believers. That's why they keep buying back their own stock, hand over fist. And it's why I think the best-run retailers can be excellent long-term investments, as long as you're willing to be patient and let their buybacks work for you. Steven Kravitz. Look, we've fear of big sellers. It's not the fundies. The stocks went up fast. Now the sellers are in charge. Wait, wait, wait. i like to say there's always a more work in summer. I promise I'd find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow. This
0: podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.